And oftentimes artists neglect the email list and that's where you're going to get conversions. So people convert from email, people read email. It's kind of like their, their address on the web. And so, you know, I've talked to a lot of artists recently that they might have big social presences, but they don't feel like they're getting the same traction for the amount of audience they have. They're not getting as much conversions or as much streams. And it's like, well, you got to bring the whole piece together. That's all those platforms, those social platforms are doing their darndest to keep your fans from leaving there and going to your website or going deeper with your the relationship with you. But that's what getting email becomes so important because that's where people, you have their attention and that's where people are more willing to convert and buy things or take action. It's easy to get lost in today's music industry with constantly changing technology and where anyone with a computer can release their own music. But I'm going to share with you why this is the best time to be an independent musician and it's only getting better. If you have high quality music, but you just don't know the best way to promote yourself so that you can reach the right people and generate a sustainable income with your music, we're going to show you the best strategies that we're using right now to reach millions of new listeners every month without spending 10 hours a day on social media. We're creating a revolution in today's music industry, and this is your invitation to join me. I'm your host, Michael Walker. All right, so I'm super excited to be here today with Kevin Bruner. So Kevin is a Grammy-nominated artist. He sold over 300,000 albums toward around the world. He's had songs used by the NFL, Peacock, ABC, and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and a ton of indie film productions. In addition to you know, doing it himself, He's also the founder and host of the DIY Musician Podcast, and he's leading the content marketing at CD Baby, which, you know, if you're a musician who has your music on Spotify or Apple Music or anywhere online nowadays, you've, you've probably heard of CD Baby. Um, so he uh, he has a lot to, to share when it comes to both personal experience with being a DIY musician and also they have an amazing podcast and a resource around interviewing tons of successful DIY musicians. So of course today we're going to be able to geek out and, and dive into in the modern day of the music industry because of the internet, because of these amazing breakthroughs, how can you fully leverage those opportunities to be a DIY musician? So Kevin, thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. Thanks for having me, Michael. Absolutely. So to get things started, I'd love to hear just a little bit about your story for, for anyone who this is their first time you know, connecting with you. Could you share a little bit about how you went from your starting point to becoming a Grammy nominated artist and you know, selling 300,000 plus albums? Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm a guitar player and I went to I wanted to go study music and music business. And so I went to Nashville to Belmont University and which was incredibly challenging being a music major was one of the hardest things I've ever done because you have to do so much, so much more than the average student does, who's just, you know, taking a regular college course or or major. But anyway, so yeah, I was there, just immersed myself in the, the music community. And that's all I wanted to, my life to be about was about music business and playing music. And so just dove right in, took advantage of every opportunity that was there while in college. Right after my fourth year, it was like I was actually on vacation at Disney World with a college friend. <laughs> I got a call. They're like, hey, we, we're starting this band. We're interested if you would try out for guitar. And it was some guys I knew for a while. I'd met them through my roommate in Nashville. And they were a band called that was forming called Small Town Poets based out of Atlanta. They had been various other bands for years and different lineup and they were kind of reform, you know, reforming the band is something new and needed a couple new players. And so 
I started playing with them. And by the end of that summer, we were signed to a major label. This was, you know, 96, very different back then than it is now. Back then you had to have a label in order to go to market. Making a record was just too expensive. You know, back then indie had a negative connotation that typically meant your album didn't sound as good because you just didn't have the funds to make a high quality record. And so, yeah, we were signed and the first, our debut album did quite well. We had a bunch of number one songs for our genre, sold a lot of copies. That's the album that sold the most for us. And if you go on Spotify now, there's, those will be the top tracks. It's like, I can't, no matter how much music we keep releasing, the ones from the nineties are always going to be those top songs. But anyway, so I did that whole thing for a handful of years. And, you know, I, like I said, had some success. We were nominated for a Grammy and a bunch of other awards. And, but the thing was, um, I saw very quickly, we were the last to get paid and we were working the hardest. We were the last to get paid and we didn't have a lot of creative control either. And it was our music. And so the, the, all the, the downfalls of the label system, especially at that time, become very apparent very quickly. And so after a while, I just decided, you know, the band kind of went on a little bit of a hiatus and I was like, I'm, I didn't even know if I was going to keep doing music. I ended up in the Northwest and just started writing and recording like crazy. Home computers were starting to come along where you could actually record decent stuff and, and put together a band locally here in the Portland area. And that's when I came across CD Baby and started using CD Baby as a distributor and then got a job there. And I, I just had my 17th year anniversary. <laughs> Super cool. Yeah, and that's, that's such a great perspective to be able to come from as well, like being able to see the old model with record labels and experiencing that, how that whole process works and, and now being a part of CD Baby and being able to you know explore this revolution. So, so maybe you could share a little bit about that shift in opportunity and the shift in kind of mindset that you personally went through and that you've seen artists go through away from this old model of needing a record label to distribute your music and now having access to tools like CD baby and being able to you know, get your music heard by potentially millions or even billions of, of people yeah. without needing a record label. Yeah. I mean, it's still, it's, I think the, the mindset is completely shifted at this point, but for a long time, and there's still artists that they, they start out and go, I need a label. And the, the fact of the matter is when, when I started in music, you had to have a label. Otherwise, you couldn't get access to the market. There was just no way. And so that was the major problem to solve for most artists, that and promotion. Places, you know, CD Baby helped eliminate the need for a gatekeeper to decide who gets to get access to the market or not. So I think it's just taken, it's been a long shift in artists realizing, hey, I have the tools I need to build audiences online and build fans online directly and grow my music career. And at the end of the day, that's what I'm wanting to do. The only reason a label existed for many of the functions for many years was because I couldn't do a lot of these things on my own, but now I can. There's still, I think, a value in a label at times, but the main shift is there's expectation now that as artists, you are building up your career. No one is going to come find you at some random club playing in the middle of nowhere and go, this is a diamond in the rough. I'm going to develop this artist. I'm going to build their audience. I'm going to do all these things. That's just not going to happen anymore. Labels are coming into situations, looking at it going, okay, how much have they done already? And what can we, how can we take this to another level? 
So the real shift is that you, I mean, which is good for the artist is that you need to be thinking about this is my career. I own this. And what is best for me in this moment? Is it, do I need some assistance to reach a broader audience? Do I need to just focus on monetizing my core fans? All that's within your, within your control. I think that was the main thing that, that really one of the things that when I reflect about our times on a major label was that it felt oftentimes we were making decisions and acting as if this was not our career, that we were employees for other people and just doing as we're told. And I think that probably persisted with a lot of artists at that time, or maybe still today, but it's like, no, this is your career. These people are working for you. And if you don't understand what value you're getting, then probably not getting value. Mm. Oh man, that's a, a powerful, powerful mindset shift. You know, it sounds like kind of the root of what you're saying is that part of this shift has come with a reclaiming of ownership or power, creative control, which in the past maybe was something that you've got diverted or di diluted by having, being accountable to other you know, executives. Whereas now you have this ability to have more creative freedom to be able to express your vision in a way that you don't necessarily have those same gatekeepers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Those, those people, you know, I, I think it was interesting to, to with both the first couple albums that we did on a label, which we're most known for, there was creative decisions made where they insisted we do stuff and we're like, we don't want to do that. And like, no, you have to do this. And then after we record, you know, it was pertaining to like recording a couple extra songs for the albums. And then after we did it, them being like, and eh, never mind. I'm like, yeah, that's what we told you from the first. I mean, just the idea that there, there's this this trying to manufacture something as opposed to just letting the fans hear it all and decide. And you know, it's it's a huge shift to where we've come from. Uh, you know, with what you see on TikTok, where artists are like literally writing a chorus that there's nothing else to the song. They've got a chorus, or maybe they've got a verse, and they put it up on TikTok and depending on the response, they may finish the song or they may not, they may abandon it. Um, you know, the, where it's really this sort of like real time and our relationship with your fans, just trying to decide what, what is going to connect and test and which is complete opposite of the, the very protectionist mindset of like creating the perfect product that's going to land perfectly on the perfect day, which is what the old label system was all about. Hmm. So cool. So, so now, yeah, it sounds like kind of at the root of, of this shift is this ability to directly connect with the fans and with the market, not necessarily having the same gatekeepers and maybe less uh, perfectionism. It's more about connection. It's more about, you know, kind of fostering those, those communities in this day and age where we have tools like CD baby and the internet, and we have the ability to use social media to like directly connect with new fans. I know you have a, a ton of experience, both from the, the realm of major record labels, but also now specifically around DIY musicians and this new model. So I'm curious, you know, in this realm where there's this explosion of creativity and freedom and the ability to, to release music in a way that wasn't possible before, what are the, some of the biggest challenges that you see musicians struggling with because of that explosion? Well, I mean, it's a noisy market now. I mean, that's, that's one thing that's challenging is that there's so many, so many people that are able to access the market that it it becomes that becomes hard to cut through all that 
all that noise. It's it's interesting because I have two teenage daughters and watching them engage with music because they've only known streaming. In fact, I think one of them saw CDs recently. It was like, I mean, they've seen CDs, but just the whole idea clicked about we actually had these CD wallets with a CD Walkman and that's how we had to take all that with us. And it was just like kind of the realization of, oh, that was very different. You had to, because she was saying, you couldn't listen to playlists. I'm like, well, you've made your own playlist and then burn them to a CD. But anyway, the, the just the way music has changed and people consume it is there's less rhythm to it as far as like, you know, Friday's our international release day, but people are releasing music every day of the week and it's not really in the rhythm and the pattern like we used to where it seems slower and more methodical in the you know old school days and now it's just music's hitting you constantly so i really think it's about you know you've got to understand that connection with your fans you've got to release content enough that people stay interested but knowing that it's okay to disappear at times because people can't consume you 100 percent of the time all the time but that's why i talk more about like with artists now like having a season of release where you have this time period where you're dropping a couple singles an album or ep maybe some remix tracks some live tracks just that it's this ongoing dialogue around content and and other content that you can create to support the album and you know what's going on in your career at that time, whether it's shows or all the other different things you can be doing around your new release. Mm. Awesome. There is a, there's something you said in there about like, not everyone's going to be able to consume you at every time. And like, for some reason, my mind went initially to like cannibalism, like, <laughs> just like people like consume. But so it sounds like, it sounds like what you're saying is like one of the biggest challenges that's happened because there's this explosion of creativity and content online is that it is a pretty noisy market. And so learning how to kind of cut through the noise is a really important skill and learning how to connect with fans. So, so I'm wondering, you know, what are some of the biggest or the best strategies that you've seen or ways, mindsets or like tactics around, let's say that someone's listening to this right now and maybe they've even released a few songs and they've sort of had this experience of like, man, like I put so much work and energy into releasing these songs and I put it out and then, you know, nothing really happened. Yep. And now they're like, man, like, how do I, yeah, how do I actually, it's not just my friends and family, but like get like real, like new fans to actually care, or actually start listening to it. What are, what are some ideas around how they can start kind of cutting through the noise and building some of those relationships? Yeah. And I've had, by the way, I've had that experience many times where you're like, you release it and you're like, ah, that's. The amount of time and effort I put into that, that's disappointing. It is challenging. I mean, the one thing is, is that I, first off, I always have to remind myself that, you know, a music career, a well-balanced music career is going to be a long-term pursuit. And for many, just a lifelong pursuit. And so there's going to be a lot of ups and downs. There's going to be times when it feels like things are connecting. There's going to be times where it feels like nobody cares. That's just natural, a part of the process with a creative field. So First of all, you know, I just encourage people to have a long-term mindset. The second second piece, you know, there are a lot of ways to connect the dots and make sure that one, you're doing things that people are going to care about or notice. Just using tools and platforms properly makes a huge difference, but also looking at it and how can you add value to the people that you're trying to reach? Oftentimes artists 
are just like it, it's like they're the person on the corner shouting to go do something like go listen to my track go do this and you're like hey buddy i don't i'm just walking down the street here so, <laughs> that's what it feels like a lot of times on social media i think there's a lot of great examples now of people doing things interesting or just maybe some shifts on how people consume media that are, I think, beneficial to artists. But paying attention to what's working for other artists is also helpful. And knowing that there's room, f- I, we were just talking about how crowd market it is. And I'm saying there's room for everybody. There's no, you know, there's no shortage of people online willing to consume content, I would say. So if you're able to get creative, Pay attention to what other artists are doing. Understand that you're trying to add value to other people's day. Get get them to stop and take notice and stop scrolling if you're on social. Or with a lot of times, I you know, with artists, it's like also understanding that there's different platforms and especially marketing channels work for different things. And oftentimes artists neglect the email list and that's where you're going to get conversions. So people convert from email, people read email. It's kind of like their their address on the web. And so, you know, I've talked to a lot of artists recently that they might have big social presences, but they don't feel like they're getting the same traction for the amount of audience they have. They're not getting as much conversions or as much streams. And it's like, well, you got to bring the whole piece together. That's all those platforms, those social platforms are doing their darndest to keep your fans from leaving there and going to your website or going deeper with your the relationship with you. But that's what getting email becomes so important because that's where people you have their attention and that's where people are more willing to convert and buy things or take action. So it's I think a lot of times it's it's a whole bunch of different things usually with artists but a lot of times it's like not seeing the whole marketing picture not understanding how certain platforms work well for one thing but maybe not another not understanding that it has to be interesting for your fans not just you shouting at them to go do something because nobody wants that All right, let's take a quick break from the podcast so I can tell you about a free special offer that we're doing right now exclusively for our podcast listeners. So if you get a ton of value from the show, but you want to take your music career to the next level, connect with a community of driven musicians and connect with the music mentors directly that we have on this podcast. Or if you just want to know the best way to market your music and grow an audience right now, then this is going to be perfect for you. So right now we're offering a free two-week trial to our music mentor coaching program. And if you sign up in the show notes below, you're going to get access to our entire Music Mentor content vault for free. The vault's organized into four different content pillars. The first being the music, then the artist, the fans, and last but not least, the business. When you sign up, you'll unlock our best in-depth masterclasses from a network of world-class musicians and industry experts on the most cutting-edge strategies right now for growing your music business. On top of that, you'll get access to our weekly live masterminds where our highest level modern musician coaches teach you exactly what they're doing to make an income and an impact with their music. Then once a month, we're going to have our Music Mentor Spotlight series. And that's where we're going to bring on some of the world's biggest and best artist coaches and successful musicians to teach you what's working right now. And one of the most amazing parts is that you can get your questions answered live by these top-level music mentors. So a lot of the people that you hear right here on the podcast are there live interacting with you personally. So imagine being able to connect with them directly. On top of all that, you'll get access to our private music mentor community 
And this is definitely one of my favorite parts of Music Mentor and, and maybe the most valuable is that you're gonna have this, this community where you can network with other artists and link up, collaborate, ask questions, get support, and discuss everything related to your music career. So if you're curious and you wanna take advantage of the free trial, then go click on the link in the show notes right now and you can sign up for free. Uh, from there, you can check out all of the amazing content, uh, connect with the community, and sign up for the live masterclasses that happen every week. This is a gift for listening to our podcast for the show. Um, so don't miss it out. Go sign up for free now and uh, let's get back to our interview. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. So, so it sounds like one is fully appreciating the value of having your own list or your own audience, right? Using, using email as an integral part of your marketing strategy, which is something I've, I've found too. It seems like yeah, social media is maybe more on the surface or it's like because it's public because everyone can see it it's a bit yeah. shinier it's, so it kind of has our it makes our egos feel good if we get yes. like boosted or get numbers there but it, it really is the like the the crm or like the email is really where the core of the engine the conversion engine the monetization engine to a degree like where it's not even close right it's like maybe you know the exact stats but i feel like the last time i looked up it was it was something to the to the key of like 75 to a hundred times more profitable yeah. for to have the email list than it is to, you know, to be selling stuff directly on social media. It kind of begs the question. So like the next, the follow-up question that would be because yeah, I think that what you're saying isn't necessarily that like, you know, you shouldn't ever use social media. It's just that in that email needs to be a core part of your strategy. And maybe that we need to have a strategy to get people off of social media and connect with them on social media and then move to email. So maybe do you have any any references or things that you've seen like creative ways or recommendations for how artists can start approaching the strategy of you know growing their email list and how do we yeah how do we get how do we reach fans who are actually interested in joining my email list? Yeah, I think there's a a lot of things you can do. For one, I think the 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 basics is to make sure all the platforms are connected, meaning. You know, I, I just did a big cleanup for my own stuff and I was encouraging other artists to do this. But oftentimes, like, well, I'm working with an artist and we logged into her Instagram. It's linking one way place where TikTok's linking some other place and the website's not optimized. And so it's like, OK, first go see where you're sending all your fans and make sure it's even clear that if they land someplace that they can get on your email list. So, you know, whether that's updating your link tree, if you're using link tree for like the link in bio, all those things, it's like, so first you got to make sure the pipes are running in the right direction. Cause oftentimes artists might try something interesting, but then there's some disconnect along the way where they lose people and it's not clear on how to convert. Cause I think oftentimes that's, that's one of the issues we're trying to say a lot and we don't make it clear. I just need you to do this one thing. So here's how you do it. So starting there and then trying to create fun and interesting incentives to get people off uh platform. So that artist, that artist I'm working with in before Christmas, she wrote this great Christmas song last minute before Christmas. It was way too late to distribute it, you know, and have it in the pipeline for the Christmas season, but it was still a great catchy song. And I said, Hey, let's just record this and use it as a lead gen item to get email addresses off of social. And then we ended up while we were demoing it, it was like, we couldn't decide on which direction to go with it. And so we created three different versions that were very different stylistically. And, and so we made those into MP3s, put them in a SoundCloud playlist, and then used our marketing platform at CD Baby that we have called show.co 
and used that as a hey hear the hear the christmas song there was a little story behind it and we got about 50 email addresses off of that just that one post and so for her this artist had basically no email list and so this was a start this was a way to start like pulling people off social and thinking of more ideas like that what are things that you can do that can get people interested, get them involved in the process, feel engaged. Like in that particular instance, I we asked the on social, which version do you like better? So it's like, we're involving them. It's like, we want their opinion. Oh, there's different versions. I wanna hear which one, see which one I like. I've done things like that. I've done things like for my band, Small Town Puts, we did one that was very successful. It said, hear the song that got us kicked off the stage once. Hmm. And, it was from a true story when we did get kicked off the stage. Obviously, that live version I they would hear would not be the one where we got kicked off the stage because we did not finish playing the song. But it was one of those things where there was like, ooh, what, what happened? What did these guys do? And so that, whenever we've done, I probably need to post that again. It's been a while. But every time I post that, we usually get a couple hundred email addresses, you know. Um, so things like that, that that are intentional at trying to do something interesting or creative where the, there's a conversion point that requires an email address is a great way to do it. I will say it seems like TikTok is the worst one for, for this kind of stuff. The way TikTok works and just the way people are just endlessly scrolling, it's not, which they do on other platforms, but the way TikTok functions, I've been using both TikTok and Instagram a lot lately, and there's definitely advantages to Instagram as far as when you want somebody to leave platform and convert. Hmm. Interesting. Cool. So, so it sounds like in general, like one great strategy for growing your email list is thinking about exclusive content that doesn't exist publicly anywhere else and having that gated behind an email address so they can get access to it, whether it's a, a unreleased custom song or like a, a in your case, it was a holiday season song, yeah. or maybe it's an early song that's going to be coming out soon if they want to get early access to a song to hear the yeah. demo or hear something to be interesting. But in general, just having something valuable that the only way for them to get access to it is by going to that opt-in page. Yeah. And, you know, you can use contests, you can do all sorts of things. The the I think the challenge is, you know, you depending on how new you are, the newer you are, the more creative you're going to have to get because the more known you are or the more diehard fans you are, they're, they're going to convert no matter what. Those diehard fans, like if you ask, I mean, chances are you already have their email address, but them just saying, get early access to a song, to a diehard fan, that's interesting. To someone who's never heard of you before, I don't I don't need to get early access to a song. I don't care. I, From an artist I've never heard of before and don't care about. So it's like trying to tell a compelling story that intrigues people. And there's lots of ways to do that. And it's, it varies depending on artists, because I think one of the things that certain people struggle with now is that it's helpful if you're good on camera, if you're good on video and, and can use that medium effectively. If you can't, that's challenging for some people because that's becoming more and more a part of the what's expected. Mm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, even the fact that we're like, we're having this conversation right now live on zoom across the internet, in, you know, hundreds or thousands of miles away is pretty miraculous. And it seems like, 
you know, there's, that's one of the biggest lynch or one of the biggest pieces of this like revolution is the ability to connect in a more present, to be more present with people and videos seem like a, a great way to be more present because it's like, well, it's, it's like a clone of you in a sense. It's like a replicated you know, recording of you, but even maybe a step further is like live streaming or like directly like connecting like in a, in the present moment with people. So maybe we could talk a little bit about live streaming, but even before we get there, I, I would be, I would love to kind of step, take a step back. Cause you brought up a really good point, which is like, before you even are converting a listener into a, a subscriber, usually you know, you need to have built some sort of relationship or you need to introduce yourself. If you go straight for like, join my email list and be like, who are you? Or like, why should I join if they're, if it's for like an unreleased song? So maybe have you seen any creative strategies or do you have any ideas for that step before inviting someone to join the email list? Let's say that we're just looking kind of for exposure. We're just looking to just kind of initiate that initial contact with a new fan. And we want to reach, you know, the right people who are going to actually resonate and care about the music. But how do they take that initial step to introduce themselves to a new fan? That's a good question. And I think, you know, it, it, there, there's some general answers, I think, but then also I, I think what, what's helpful for the average artist is if they look at the things that are uniquely them and they look at highlighting them or understanding how their story can connect with others. So, you know, when, when looking at audiences, so if I'm just starting out as a brand new artist, there's, there's, I think oftentimes we miss some of the more obvious starting points for an audience in that we think all about people that like a certain genre and we play that genre. But oftentimes some of those first early fan connections are people that have maybe a different story of relevance with you that that makes them want to come along for the ride like maybe i'll, I'll so i'm just going to go with this this example it's going to out me as someone who loves playing disc golf so during the pandemic my bandmates already played disc golf but during the pandemic we all got really bit by the bug but i've noticed in that and this is all going to make sense trust me that that community is a very tight community people love meeting other people that play disc golf and you're like instant best buds and what I've noticed, because this whole that whole world exploded during the pandemic, is that people then start liking there's artists that they have come play at some of these big tournaments. And the artists they pick are artists that also like disc golf. So it's like the big connector and thing that makes people want to be fans is not the music. It's this fact that we share this other thing in common. And oftentimes that's a really easy way to fans that are just your early diehard fans is like some other thing in common that you have. I think we see this a lot. I think this is why um, all these early case studies about NFTs, I think are the exact same scenario in that you had artists that were already in that world. And so people who love NFTs wanted to love those artists that were already in that world and they had that connection with. And so those early success stories around NFTs were really based around the fact that those people like NFTs, not because it's the wave of the future for all music creators. So anyway, I think some of those early diehard fans can be based on other communities that you're a part of, whether it's a cause you believe in, whether it's just certain things you're passionate about, other hobbies and such, that those can be real entry points into early fans. Obviously, you want to go after music fans as well, but I think those other audiences that you're already participating in oftentimes get overlooked. And those are typically the places where you can come off more natural as well and more authentic without just 
shouting, but you're shouting, go do this, go do that. You know, it's like people that are predisposed to really want to support you and like you. So that anyway, that's, that's where I think a lot of people, um, don't look and don't look enough, especially when they're first starting out. When I first started working at CD Baby, that was one of the things that blew my mind is that some of our top sellers at the, that point, we had somebody, you know, this is when we were doing digital distribution and selling a lot of CDs. CDs were still one of the main things we were selling. We had this artist who all her songs were about horses and all the album art was a picture. Every album had a picture of a horse on it. Um, she would sell her CDs for 20 bucks and she was selling them by the truckload and they were all people who loved horses. So it's, and we had the same instance around sailing. We had the same instance around all these different topics where it's like people writing songs, speaking to a community and that community going crazy for it. So that was one of those things that when I first started working here that really opened my eyes to, yeah, you're the connections people feel and the way into music isn't just them browsing the genre section on a platform or at a store or whatever. Mm. That's super smart. Yeah, it sounds like what you're saying is that one of the tendencies is to always look outside or look externally for those fans. And maybe a good starting point for everyone is, is rather than looking to build completely new relationships with people they don't know, take a step back and look inside and, and look at your existing network, your existing community and people like you know, your friends and family and, and com specific communities that you're a part of, whether it's disc golf or you love horses or, or anywhere where there's kind of this, like this energetic like communities coming together in that, you know, if you can connect with those, those community groups that you're already a, a part of, especially then you have an easier task of building those relationships because they already know you to some extent. And so that's where you should, that's a great place to start rather than, you know, neglecting those people who are kind of a part of your core of who you are and trying to find completely new people from scratch. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, that's key. I, and again, this is like when you're thinking about just starting from the beginning, where do I look, you know? There's, there's a lot of other communities people might be involved with, a church community, a social organization, all sorts of things where people, they aren't the, they're not necessarily the well you're going to go to all the time. But when you're starting out, these are people that already have some sort of relationship with you on some degree and are probably going to be more interested in, in, in diving in early on. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think, you know, there's, you, you start there. I think there's, I mean, lots of opportunity with, advertising these days where it can be very affordable you put together a couple of nice short videos you can reach new audiences that way i think a lot of the platforms have gotten pretty you know very affordable and target pretty well i've actually been testing a little bit of that on tiktok and it's really cheap and it seems like it's dialed in pretty well like i you know for my personal tiktok it's mainly artists i'm looking to engage with because i put out content as well and so i was curious like Am I just going to get a bunch of bots or garbage accounts? And it seemed about like 85% of them were artists and the kind of people I would want following me and want seeing my message. So some of these things can be pretty affordable just to throw a few bucks at, to gain a few more people, to keep the energy going and all that. Mm -hmm. I think another, another thing I would highlight that is that I think when you're starting out, especially when it feels like you're trying to manufacture some of that momentum, I think we get afraid to try things twice. And even in just in marketing our music in general, not being afraid to like, 
put out a similar video twice or similar message twice. I mean, you don't want to do it, you know, right next to each other, but I've seen that like, like TikTok and such, they don't, they, they work differently. So having a similar video go up a couple of times, doesn't necessarily hurt you negatively. Like where some of the older platforms, if you repeated content, it would sometimes negatively impact your account. Mm. Got it. Yeah. So, you know, one thing that you brought up earlier that I think is a really great lesson when, as it relates to starting to explore these different platforms too, is was around just looking and seeing what's working right now for other artists like you are looking at, you know, what's, what is the, the quote success leaves clues. And so going to TikTok or going to somewhere else or better yet, like I think it's such a service, you know, having resources like what you offer with DIY musician and podcasts. Like you basically can have this curated content from people who are sharing what's working right now. So do you have any thoughts around that idea of, yeah, you know, there's a few books that were written about this idea of like steal like an artist. And mm-hmm. obviously you know, we really value our authenticity and originality and you never want to just like rip someone off. But there's kind of that balance of like, taking something that's working right now, a model, and then making it your own. So I'm curious if you have any thoughts or recommendations around how someone can dial in that process where they can use models and references and they can learn from what's working, but at the same time, you'll be able to to do it in their own voice in in a way that's unique and authentic. Yeah, I think first off, you know, finding a lot of artists that are doing interesting things online is is a first step. I've been I've been doing that more and more myself as well trying to find artists that are doing interesting things. And it doesn't have to be just high performing artists. I think that's one thing that's it's actually probably easier to see what is really being successful on a platform when you see an artist that has a smaller following but then they have a video performing very well around their music because you know it's not fame or notoriety driving it. It's the the fact that people are connecting with the content and responding and then therefore the algorithm is benefiting them so but following a lot of artists and seeing what's working and what's not working you know things and it's okay if you fail because when you when a social media post fails it's like it never happened because no one saw it so you might see it there on your feed with zero or very few likes but no one else saw it so don't worry about it so i think trying a lot of things so and and then and seeing how ideas that work work for you. For example, in our latest episode of the podcast, we talked about how to build anticipation for your music. And the premise that we're kind of working with is that, you know, there's difference between informing and building anticipation. So we tend to like, in our marketing efforts, and this goes across the board, not just music, we tend to tell people information like this is coming out this day. This is now available go do this. That's all information that doesn't do anything for me. Like, unless there's that fame or that, you know, that celebrity built in, the idea that something is happening, that I'm releasing new music doesn't really mean anything to most people. So it's like, how do you build anticipation? And that turns the equation around, like, how do I make this so fun, interesting? So they look forward to it. And so one of the, in that episode, i broke down this artist, Walk Off the Earth. Love Walk Off the Earth. They make amazing, amazing videos. And it's one of those things where I watch and I go, dang it, <laughs> they're geniuses. I'd never be able to do this. It's just like, I'm trying to get them on our podcast because I want to know how much time and effort they go into planning those videos because it looks like they just woke up one day and said, hey, let's do this. And I'm sure 
a ton of effort goes into them behind the scenes that but they look effortless and but they just do all these creative things around the music and so this the single that they just released a couple of weeks ago i counted nine plus videos that they made all of them different but they were all just the chorus as well but they were interesting and visually and and musically they kept changing up how they did the song very very different and they, i don't know if you remember them they're the ones that did that godier five somebody i used to know the five people uh, I, I do you remember that one with the guitar yeah, that, was, that was their big yeah, breakout yeah. where they went crazy viral well they that's their whole thing they do all sorts of crazy videos like that some of them are just more straight ahead than playing music a lot of them are them using weird instruments or they have this one guitar that's as big as me i mean it is seriously like seven feet tall and then so there was leading up to their the release of their single they were just playing the hook and that's another thing artists should just play the hook no one needs your 30 second intro on social that is they don't need this 30 second intro they don't need all that stuff just play the hook and but they had all these different unique things that they did one of them was like the the video you see it comes down and you're scrolling there's all they're sitting around this table that's covered with all these melons and there's all these electrodes in the melons and they they were using them as basically drum pads and synth pads because when they touched it it would short out the circuit and so there's some interesting things going on visually but then they're playing the song with this fruit and it sounds really cool and that's something where you're like i'm gonna watch this and it's a hooky song now i like this song and then that so almost using it like how in the old school days, radio was used where a single would drop a couple months before an album came out. It would play on the radio. Ideally, it'd get in a heavy rotation. You're hearing it. You finally, you know, they beat you down. And so you finally like the song. And, and then you start looking forward to the actual album coming out and the tour and all that. And I think how TikTok has evolved, it's almost just like that now. It's like thinking about how do I get that little radio hook in their head just one more time in a creative visual way that that changes it up enough that people will stop but they like the song and so they they hang around for for it and then they're now the song's in their head and now i can start building that anticipation towards a release because now they care when when it's just information coming down their feed they don't care but now they've heard it they've enjoyed a few videos it's stuck in their head now they're like okay I'm looking forward to this. Now 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 I have them and that's an opportunity to really make the release day special. Hmm. Super smart. Yeah, it, it sounds like you know, one thing that comes to mind as you describe that is sort of that classic principle of you know, if you want to offer a a block of cheese for sale, then the way to do it isn't by like trying to pawn off the block of cheese immediately. And in this analogy, the block of cheese might be like your album, but instead, like you take a little a little snippet of cheese and you stand outside the store with a sample of a little bite of cheese. And if they like it, then they might go buy the whole block of cheese. Yeah. And it sounds like like TikTok could be a good way to have a little block of cheese and, and just you know, take the best, delicious, most tasting yeah. piece of it and do it in a way that's that can, you know, that people can enjoy. And and then from from there you might share the the full the full album. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other thing that that's by thinking about quick creative hits of the song, it's also what I, I think I see working a lot on TikTok specifically is people saying, Hey, are you this type of person? I wrote a song for you. And then going right into the hook, not like, a again, if, cause oftentimes people go, Oh, I identify with whatever you just said. And now I'm going to, check out this song, but you only have my attention for another two seconds. So get to it. So, yeah, huh. I mean, it's sad. To, it's sad on some level, 
but I also think it learning to self edit is good. Mm-hmm. And and yeah. learning learning how to to communicate in a way that because being able to get to the point is helpful in a lot of places. Like you know, people always talk about what's your elevator pitch, and it's like they say that because there's moments where you get on a literal elevator with somebody. It's happened to me at a conference just a couple of weeks ago, and they said, "What do you do?" Well, you only got a couple floors. You got to be able to spit something out and make sense. And if you're still like can't figure out, it's like I don't. Yeah, I, that was confusing. I'll see you later. You know, the elevator doors open, you're gone. As opposed to getting, this is what I do. This is this is the important things to know. And I think in our marketing, that's helpful in a, a lot of ways. So being able to self-edit and understand what do people really, what's really going to grab people's attention is helpful. Mm. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. It's almost like I don't know why I keep coming back to this analogy, but it's almost like if you have this big block of cheese and like a you know, big bit of it is moldy then you want to make sure you're not like accidentally like you're trying to give them the moldy piece. It's like, you know, you have the little block of cheese that, you know, is the most delicious, best tasting stuff. If you kind of have that crafted, then, you know, then hopefully people will, if they enjoy it, then any of a path for them to get the full block of cheese, then, then they'll get it. But, you know, it is important to kind of get a really delicious piece of cheese because people are walking down the aisle and there's billions of pieces of cheese that they could eat everywhere. Right. Mm. Mm. Yep. Yep. Well, uh, this has been uh, this has been a really cool conversation. I, I appreciate you coming on here, Kevin, and, and sharing some of your wisdom from you know, being in the industry for a long time now and seeing some you know, radical shifts and how things are. Maybe maybe we could take like the last question could be around upcoming trends or kind of future things that you think are interesting. That like obviously the future hasn't happened yet, so we can, we don't really know. <laughs> We're just kind of like drying tea leaves. But I'm curious if you see any exist like certain trends that you think are upcoming right now that if someone happened to be listening to this right at the right time that that they could maybe swim along with the wave and kind of catch that momentum. Well, I think one thing that's interesting, you know, the it feels like there is some trends in the fan community almost like, you know, people have said it a couple times i've seen it in like articles like we're in a post streaming world or heading into a post streaming world and what does that look like hmm. and i think the the thing there's there's a couple things happening you know we've got we are in a streaming world but we're also in a sort of a post covid world which covid broke a lot of people's habits and 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 sort of ushered in some new ways of doing things but it feels like there's a new renewed interest in the fan community for like really supporting artists and, and even a, a renewed interest in things like downloads or having a copy of the, your favorite album and things like that. And I mentioned that just because it seems like um, it, that it's a real opportunity for artists that to really understand that there is monetization options available to you that make you more money than s- streaming. It seems like the fans are trending in some of those directions more and more like we you know we had over the pandemic like Bandcamp exploded and they start doing those friday music day friday like the first fridays or whatever they were doing where and they were driving tons of download sales tons of physical sales and so i think we're seeing some resurgence in some of the interest in that from especially from diehard fans i think what was interesting about the the whole nft conversation that that, that sparked for a bit seems to have died down for a while but was that to me, the the general NFT idea was still conf- too confusing for your average fan. But what it sort of was reinforcing is the idea of 
ownership of a file and having that file and being part of a community and buying into a community. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's some trends happening in that way where belonging to a community, people are more interested in and feeling like instead of being on these big, wide social networks that are public, more smaller communities, we see that with like Discord and stuff like that. And so I think all those are opportunities for artists to really build uh, a tribe around their music and the experience of their music. And I think people are primed for that again. It seemed like that was sort of where things were going and then streaming kind of just felt like, well, it's all there, it's all out there and it's just playlists from now on. But it seems like people are, are open to moving off the playlists. I mean, moving off the streaming platforms to other forms of relationship with the artist. Mm. So good. Yeah, you know, we, I'm actually looking forward to catching up with you after after the interview, just about what we're working on with Modern Musician with our, our software. And we have a platform called Street Team that's basically designed for the exact purpose that you just talked about, about you know, building fan community with what we call their inner circle. So they have different tiers of access and they have called music relics rather than music NFTs, mostly because NFTs, like you said, are just sort of, I don't know, they were a hype hype word for a while. They also were really confusing and, and complicated, but we're calling them music relics. But the music relic basically is a key that grants an artist or grants a fan access to an artist's inner circle. And it's, it's a... It's a really exciting way, I think, to sort of to take these music assets and create something that's valuable for fans and kind of tag, plugs into what you're just talking about, about giving the artist and the fan a relationship or giving them certain status through that. So looking forward to, to catching up about, about yeah. that. And yeah, man, again, thank you so much for coming on here and just for, for what you do. I think, you know, that I have a ton of respect for CD Baby and DIY Musician. I know how big of an impact you know, mentors have made in my life and all, all sorts of different ways. And yeah, and I, and I can see the ripple effect that you guys are having on the lives of so many musicians. So highly encourage anyone that's listening to this right now to go check out the DIY musician podcast and plug into that community. And yeah, man, thanks again for taking the time to be here today. Like always, we'll put all the links in the show notes. So for easy access, so you can click okay. on the links in the show notes to go check that out. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's Michael here. I hope that you got a ton of value out of this episode. Make sure to check out the show notes to learn more about our guest today. And if you want to support the podcast, then there's a few ways to help us grow. First, if you hit subscribe, then I'll make sure you don't miss a new episode. Secondly, if you share it with your friends or on your social media, tag us. That really helps us out. And third, uh, best of all, if you leave us an honest review, it's going to help us reach more musicians like you who want to take the music careers to the next level. The time to be a modern musician is now, and I look forward to seeing you on our next episode.